Cahan is supported in part by Hilltop Broadband. Hilltop Broadband for residential and business wireless internet service. Servicing Salida and Poncha Springs in Chaffee County, as well as areas in Fremont County, Custer County, and more. To experience the Hilltop difference and request new customer information, email info at hilltop-broadband.com or call toll-free 877-783-2889. Cahan is supported in part by Little Red Hen Bakery, located at 302 G Street in downtown Salida. Little Red Hen specializes in hometown fresh-baked bread, bagels, and treats, all made with organic and local ingredients. A full menu, including the wood-fired oven schedule and daily specials, can be found on their Facebook page at Little Red Hen Salida. K-Hen and Little Red Hen, just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida. Well, welcome, friends, to another edition of On the Rails, direct from the our old caboose here at KHCN 106.9 on your FM dial. Or if you're listening, uh, you can always do a podcast of this. Uh, and what we were really talking about is the fact that Jim is the chair of this really forward-looking group, the Front Range Passenger Rail Authority. He's the chairman of their board of directors. And it's a big board of directors. He was just telling us how many different groups, governmental groups, they could set a sales tax if they wanted to go for a sales tax. And there's a certain amount of nostalgia here. A certain number of our readers saying, well, remember when we had the cars? They always talk about the cars. These were where for a quarter you could get on a car in Colorado Springs or maybe uh, Canyon City and ride up to Union Station in Denver. For like a quarter. People have in mind. Then when Jim begins to talk about these very quite expensive, quite detailed plans that need to happen, I think a lot of our people, they, their eyes glaze over a little. They're making that big shift to what we're talking about here. Whose job is the, is the PR on that, I guess? Uh, maybe our group, the Colorado Association of Railroad Passengers, which I belong to. And could Colorado have some Information sessions, free donuts uh, on the concourse in at Union Station, free donuts in Pueblo, something like that, and have people come and begin to explain to them why we need these really complex studies and what what they mean. What would you think about about that? Could Colorail do that sort of thing? Colorail is a great advocacy. That's exactly what they did for the last 10 years to lead to this whole development as a advocacy organization. So our members were very adamant. We went to Pueblo. We went to Fort Collins. We did public meetings. We took groups of legislators and congressional staff and, and senators and U.S. representatives on the uh, Amtrak trains. Many of them had never ridden a train before. Isn't that amazing when you think about it? But a lot of folks began commuting or began driving or whatever else after we had ended passenger service in this country with the exception of Amtrak and commuter services elsewhere. So yeah, Colorado was deeply involved in that. Now the new commission has taken upon itself to do quite a bit of outreach. We have a subcommittee that will be focusing on how to uh, educate the public about what this whole project is all about. 
Uh, that includes a number of these public uh, leaders that are on the board of directors and also some of our non-voting members, the railroads, Amtrak, Union Pacific, BNSF Railway. Colorado as an advocacy group, one of its goals will be to support this. We'll meet May 6th somewhere near Denver, and we'll start this whole process of now moving beyond trying to get legislation to create a front-range rail system to supporting the new board of directors so they can achieve what they need to achieve. It's extremely important. If Obviously, in Colorado, the voters have to approve any tax. We have a district that, uh, that runs north and south. It includes uh, some 85% of the population of the state of Colorado. And we have to convince all those people to vote for a tax that will be identified in advance to finance whatever state requirements are. Yeah, obviously the outreach effort is gonna be crucial. So we'd be more than interested to hear what some of your listeners have to say about how to conduct that outreach. Yes because it doesn't really cross the airwaves very often, questions like this. I mean, people know what they wish they had. They know that they don't like trying to get in passenger autos and get to downtown Denver from a place place like Salida, a place like uh, Canyon City. It's very, very tough. And this winter has been okay, but not uh, especially easy. Mostly we've gotten through. Now, RTD, God bless them. They've kept their service up pretty well. That's good. But it's still kind of iffy on some of the passes. And, and as far as this, this is a long question, but could low-priced rail buses actually begin to, to move in here? I don't, did they before? Does anybody know? Were they efficient? I mean, I, I know there were the RDC, but RDC cars carried about 60-some-odd passengers. They were diesel-electric. And they were one or two uh, cars long. Some of them had baggage compartments for longer distance trips. And some of them were, they were all relatively inner city for us. They weren't interurban light rail, you know, trolley systems and everything else. These were on mainline railroads run by mainline railroad companies. But they were efficient for their era. I think I mentioned in your earlier program Technology like that, we haven't decided what technology would make the most sense because we haven't completed the service development plan to tell us what kind of service we're going to offer. But once we've done that, then we'll be able to look and see what kind of railroad technology makes the most sense. And, you know, all around the world now, including in the United States itself, new rail technologies are being developed. Some of them are powered by, of all things, hydrogen. Uh, that's an attractive proposition, environmentally speaking. A lot of them are uh, re also rely on these new high-density lithium batteries. So there are a lot of new technologies that might be applicable in Colorado, but we're, it's too early to make those kinds of decisions. And furthermore, it's going to take us a couple of years to get these plans developed so that the public can understand what it is they're trying to fund and what kind of equipment we would run. And in that same amount of time, untold new technology developments might appear on the market. So there's a lot going on in rail globally and a lot going on in rail in the United States. We'll learn from these other states. And certainly the Europeans are trying all this. The hydrogen thing is, that's sensational. You don't have to dig for oil. You don't have to muck out any coal, like the coal we're burning here in the old caboose, the Cahan caboose. 
It's wonderful. It keeps us warm. Very pretty, but not efficient at all, I don't think. That's going to be interesting, too. Uh, okay, now we have a, a couple political questions. It may be a little bit beyond this program. I don't know. We've, it says here, we've just had an election. Which of these political types do we think will care? Will anybody in the House of Representatives care? I don't know. They're, they're having trouble even electing a speaker, much less diving into a question like this. Our delegation, for the most part, obviously not entirely, but a number of our delegation are very supportive. Our two senators support rail. Uh, Hickenlooper, when he was governor, supported this whole effort, supported getting our legislation. The current governor signed the legislation in a MIG ceremony in Pueblo. He's expressed support for this approach. Our legislature has passed, by, in a bipartisan manner, this extraordinarily powerful legislation, some of the most powerful legislation any state has ever seen. One of the reasons it is so powerful is we went out to seven other states and said, what powers would the new rail district in Colorado need to be successful? And they gave us an answer of 47 different powers. And almost every single one of them is either explicitly or by, by just direction in our legislation. But it all hinges on voters uh, being willing, willing to approve a sales tax to finance the state portion of whatever these construction costs are. So, you know, the voters have the final say in this, and that's why outreach and communications are so important for us and for Colorado as well as advocates for this. We just glossed over the upcoming May meeting of uh, Colorado, but I think we should, I know a couple of our faithful listeners to this show also always show up at uh, Colorado meetings. And um, May 6th, is that likely to be a morning uh, meeting, do you think? Yeah, traditionally, we would run it from 9 to noon, uh, usually. It depends whether we do a Zoom. We've been, as you know, using Zoom. So in our May meeting, of the, we didn't do a fall meeting this year for us because of the pandemic. But we did a meeting in May. There was that dip in the pandemic. We did a meeting. It was a great meeting, but we did it also online as well as in person. We'd like to do the next meeting in person, but if it's necessary because of uh, COVID or whatever it might be, then we'll probably do it online as well as in person. But those plans aren't made yet. We're waiting to see how this COVID situation plays out over the next several months. We'll be sending out much more detailed information. Uh, we decided to do it on Saturday because many of our members have said they can't make it to a meeting on a, on a work day, on a weekday. So we'll do it. If we follow tradition for us, we'll do it between nine and noon, two to three hours, something like that. We'll have some, you know, we'll have coffee and, you know, uh, pastries and things like that in the morning for folks who get up early to come in, for example, from Salida. Yeah. And then we'll uh, conduct the meeting and hopefully have it end by noon so people can get home or get on to whatever else they need to do on that Saturday. But that's the tradition. But the board at Colorado hasn't made any of these formal decisions, just like the board of directors at the Front Range Rail District hasn't gotten that far down the path either. We just need to gather more information before we can act on this stuff. Yeah. None of the people who call in to this show or who buttonhole me in the coffee shop or whatever None of them are saying, hey, I want my train right away. But on the other hand, I think very few of them understand the depth of studies that you're talking about here that we need before the government till will 
open up and it's going to have to open up. I mean, and isn't some of that money in a way still hanging around that it's supposedly pandemic money? There must be some of that unspent. Well, the FRA is, uh, you know, received $66 billion for rail infrastructure activities. From them, we've received, not for this district, but in prior years, uh, about $100 million to uh, repair the Southwest Chief Line in Kansas, Colorado, and New Mexico. All three states participated. Colorado was one of the main instruments that led to that development and convinced the FRA to give us the money. So we have we have we have real good experience in Colorado in dealing with the Federal Railroad Administration. We've got a positive track record with them. They have this new corridor program that was included in the legislation. They're developing all of the uh, all of the rules around that grant. We'll apply for a planning grant from them sometime this spring. The district will, not Colorado. And uh, we'll try to receive some additional funding to support the legislative appropriation we received to start this whole process. We received uh, $1.9 million to start the planning process. And then we've received an additional, about an additional million dollars from the FRA to conduct that planning process as well in a matching grant. That's how complicated and extensive this planning has to be anymore. We're not in the 1860s any longer. We have to comply with the National Environmental Policy Act. We have to comply with a whole array of issues. We have to avoid the mistakes that other states and other entities made in rail development in the past. So it's going to require some extensive effort, but that's why we have this large board of so many political leaders, because they will be very sensitive to their voters' concerns, and so we expect to deliver something very powerful to the voters for their approval, you know, in the next few years. As for the timeline you just mentioned, yeah, we're not talking about anything this year. We're probably not talking about anything in the next two years, but certainly in the next two to four years, we are talking about having results to, you know, to bring to their attention. Now, we're going to start our outreach this year. We're not going to try to convince everybody, you know, in the last year of of a three-year plan, suddenly what we're doing. We're going to try to keep people on board. I should remind you that in, what was it, 2018? I can't remember when. 85% of the voters in the Front Range counties supported Front Range passenger rail. We had both a Republican and a Democratic poll group do that uh, polling. And not only that, But what was most amazing to our two polling institutions was that 62% of the voters said they would pay a major sales tax to support state funding for front-range passenger rail. And that was unheard of, to have more than 50.1% was an amazing tax outcome on a poll in this state. We're a purple state. We vary between red and and uh, blue back and forth. That's why we call ourselves purple. But we're not a big bunch of fans for taxes. However, we've voted for them in the past when the project has been clearly a benefit. And so it's this district has to convince and Colorado has to help them do this. We have to convince the voters that this is a great idea and it's worth them paying for. And that's that's our first primary task. Having you as the chair of the board of directors, I think is a plus because you've established your ties 
with all of these political leaders, all of these groups, their bipartisan ties. And I think that this puts you and, and frankly puts Colorado in a position to really get this done, to really put the energy in there to have it happen. You know, as for outreach, this is kind of an anecdote. This, this is not future looking, although it's <laughs> going to occur again. But we provide, we have 60 train hosts that serve the ski train service, the Winter Park Express, runs from Denver up to Winter Park. It starts again in January 13th. It runs Friday, Saturday, and Sunday up in the morning, back in the evening. And then three or four charters take this train up on a weekday. They fill the train with their employees, the North Face, the people who make all of that, you know, outdoor gear. They chartered the train last year and took all their employees up on the train and back. But the point is our hosts, obviously, first of all, answer questions about the train. Their primary reason for being there is safety. They man the where the car doors are so nobody sticks their head out when we're going through the nine tunnels up there and loses their head, for example. Their second role is to explain things, both about the railroad and about the route and about Winter Park. But the third issue that they take up is to find out from these passengers what they think of passenger rail. It was, I think, last year or the year before, some 30 or 40 percent of the passengers, when they were asked that question, hadn't even ridden a train before. But their big point of view was, why can't we have this kind of service up and down the front range? Now, that's not a statistically valid poll, as you know, Forrest, but the fact that all these people were so excited about getting past was just, it was fascinating to me and to all our train hosts. They're all Colorado members and they, you know, they get to ski for a day. They don't get to have any beer or any of the other things that people like to have when they're skiing, but at least they get to take their skis up and ski for a few hours. But their main role is to provide safety and uh, security on that train both up and back, and then to make sure the passengers are comfortable and answer questions. So we were very pleased that so many people felt the passenger rail should be a big part of Colorado's transportation future. Oh, that's wonderful. And as you say, it's amazing because the kids that I talk to, kids in their 20s, even under their 30s, they didn't know that we had passenger trains here at my front door. I mean, that just never crossed their mind. Changing that outlook is going gonna, is gonna to take some time. And if anything will change it, it seems to me, the uh, front range passenger rail experience will, will change it because otherwise, what do we got? I suppose we'll have more of the same, more gridlock. I'm sure CDOT's done some studies showing what happens if, you know, we do nothing. You know, there's this, there's this economic principle called elastic demand. You know that. And what happens is you put an extra lane on a, on a, on a highway and they fill it up instantly. And it's uh, fascinating, you know. And, and so the only way to really uh, expand is to add more lanes. Trains, on the other hand, and add more cars. So, you know, essentially they can use the same right-of-way and double, but either through scheduling or through longer trains, their ability to move people. So, you know, there are some just, you know, obvious engineering advantages to rail travel. Yeah, elastic demand is the story of highways in this country. And uh, it's so expensive now that it's, I don't think it's sustainable. I can't, I'm not going to defend that definitively, but that's exactly what we're hearing from other states. And that's exactly what we're seeing in Colorado now as we try to expand our highways. We find out, my God, it's costing a fortune to do this. It, it is interesting how, People in my age group, 
I think never would have thought of this. I mean, when when I was in that age group, I wanted to have a car, get in that car, and go where I wanted to go. By golly, when I wanted to go, I that's that's really pretty pretty much gone. Well, you know, sure is during it. Sure is during rush hour. Try it out sometime. For oh, us. It's, uh, yeah. it's brutal. I don't even try to drive in rush hour up and down I twenty five. You know, I don't have to anymore. I used to have to commute. And wow. It was miserable. It was miserable to tell you the truth. And that was years ago. So uh, I don't think it's any better. The pandemic has reduced both uh, ridership on transit and also uh, uh, motorist traffic. But that's recovering now. I think Amtrak is saying now they're back up to pre-pandemic levels on their long distance trains. They don't have enough equipment to serve the demand. Their trains are sold out now uh, uh, frequently. So people, uh, people are, are anxious to get out of cars now. It's, it is a big kind of a big change, and it's simply due to congestion and, you know, problems with highways. And by the way, gasoline's not cheap anymore either. And uh, as I've mentioned before, owning a car is extremely expensive. Insurance, fuel, just pe- making car payments. I mean, it's unbelievable to me how expensive it is to own a car. The fact that you might have two cars so somebody can commute in your family and somebody else can get to the market and back and things like this, I just don't see that as sustainable either. So we'll have to see that over time, I think rail is going to become more and more attractive to the uh, motorists and to the uh, people who have to commute. Oh, I think you're right. And what fun it is to have this little rail show. By the way, we're so pleased and honored, really, to have uh, Jim Subi here chairing the board of directors of this uh, austere group, are people going to change their mind about wanting to be in an automobile? What would it take to change that mindset, which I'm afraid is still here, or do you think it's changing? Well, from, I mean, from my perspective, obviously, what's changing everybody's mind in the first instance is congestion. I mean, it's fine to yeah. own a car, but if you spend an hour and a half, if, you, if we were living in L.A., We'd be spending hours a day trying to commute in a car. That's why LA has poured billions of dollars into their transit system and their subway system. They, you know, to do that in LA, it's unbelievable the technical difficulties of building a new subway system and everything else in a city that already has sewers and electricity and everything else underground. But they're doing it and they're paying for it and their taxpayers are paying for it because you can't get around the city very easily anymore. The other thing about this is one of the great advantages of, of passenger rail is that it alleviates the congestion. So it makes it better for motorists. And that's why one of our biggest supporters is the American Automobile Association. They're not going to survive unless they can reduce congestion. And so what happens is rail takes, what, 15% or 20% of those cars off the highway. That makes highway traffic that much better. And it handles the routine people who are commuting by rail who are comfortable and doing work on the train and all the rest. So there are tremendous advantages here and they're mutual. So you will, I don't think you'll find any director on this new board or any member of Colorado who says we're getting rid of cars. They're saying, let's make it easier to drive, safer to drive, and let's, let's give people an alternative. And a lot of people are going to want to use it because it's very convenient, very comfortable. That's the mutual benefit of doing this. Pretty exciting. Well, this has been a, a marvelous morning here in the KN Caboose, listening to uh, uh, Jim Subi 
who is chair of the, the board of directors here of, of the big one, certainly the front range and passenger rail, all falls in his back pocket. Well, not your back pocket, but, you know, in one of your pockets, I think dealt with most of the listener questions. Gosh, we'll have to have you on here again after May meeting, which we hope everybody will come to. That's May 6th. If you want to find out more about that meeting, just go to the um, Colorail website, Colorado Association of Railroad Passengers. Yeah, it's colorail.org, C-O-L-O-R-A-I-L.org. And that it's suffered over the pandemic too, but we're restoring it now. We have a bunch of people. We have our board is now working on that. We're trying to get our newsletter process restored. Just like how all the other nonprofits and everything else, we took a big hit after the, you know, we did our May meeting, everything looked fine. And then the, we, everything in the pandemic really deepened. So now we're restoring and recovering from that. So yeah, I hope yeah. you will go to the yeah. website and join our organization. Well, our little gang from here, we'll, Probably all get in Pete Bond's car and head up there and before all the, the donuts are gone. These guys, they eat, I think railroad people, they tend to eat donuts at a rapid rate. All right, that's it. We're about ready to close down the old caboose here, bank the coal stove a little, throw a fusee out onto the snow so we get a nice rosy glow there and a signal to the head end where Rick White is up there ready to, ready to, Pull back on the throttle. All right, we're going to give a high ball. And when we do, thanking again, thanking our guest. And we're going to holler out high ball. And we're going to go on the count of three. One, two, three. High ball. High High ball. ball. High ball. Cahen is sponsored in part by Soulcraft Brewing, Salida's hometown brewery, offering a large selection of traditional and seasonal craft beers. Their spacious patio features cozy fire pit tables for outdoor warmth on chilly days. Fresh food is served daily at the Soul Shack food truck, featuring snacks like wings and pretzels, and full meals like sandwiches, burgers, and a delicious brunch on Sunday. Soulcraft is open daily for happy hour, lunch, and dinner.